The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica Richmond, and it is time to talk about extreme periods. Welcome to Flow. It's September, back to school time. I'm here with public health advocate Christy Van Horn, and as always, we want to know, how's your flow? Welcome once again to Flow. Christy, hello, happy autumn. How's your flow? So, is it autumn, Jay Rich? I think we have another week till the equinox. I take it back. I take it back. I'm a witch. I should know better. The only reason I have a couple of friends that are like, no to the pumpkin, everything. Like, let's stop this. It's not fall yet. So that's very fresh in my mind. That's the only reason. You're right. We have about a week left. I love this season. And in regards to my flow, you know, is summer is, is coming to an end and I went on vacation guess what happened? My first full day of vacation. She came back. Oh yeah. She was there. She was right there. I'm like, are you kidding me? I did know it was going to come while I was on vacation. My first full day was the 10th. And typically my period comes between like the 13th and 15th. It was a little too early and it was my birthday. Mm. So honestly, it was a very annoying time to have my period. That's just yeah. how it goes, right? Flo, how, was you, Flo, how are you doing? Flo wanted to come on vacation. Flo she did. She came. On your birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, hey, hey, how you doing? Hey. I'm here for you. Great. Isn't it funny? So like Flo, your Flo's pronouns are she, her. I was just thinking about how my Flo's pronouns sometimes are he, him. Sometimes it's like of a certain masculine energy. Is that how you felt this last time? This last time. I'm I'm luteal now. I love being luteal. So I'm ready to disco fever. But I see it in your face. I know can? Our, our, <laughs> yeah, our, our listeners can't see your face, but I see it in your face. Today, we have an awesome, awesome guest. Such a great episode. Yes, incredible guest today from period.org, the period movement. And I'm flipping out about their service, education, and advocacy model. They have developed amazing systems of receiving donations, distributing products to those in need. I mean, just wonderful to hear about what they're doing. And as you'll hear during our conversation, they are fundraising right now. And they have a really cool club called the Every 28 Days Club. And it's a monthly subscription where for $5 or more, if you have more, we always encourage to help other menstruators get the products that they need. We're going to talk a little bit more about this at the end, but we, you know, at the forefront, we want to make sure that we're supporting the work that they're doing. Check them out on social media. And Dama, who joins us today, oh, she's just incredible and has so much to, to tell us. Yes. And just um, a note on the club I'm in, I joined. Me too. Yes! In the club, listeners, you can join too right now or right after this amazing interview with the period movement, which we will get to right after this quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. My name is Nicole, and my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear the backstory, drop by Von Vendi, that's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I, 
patreon.com slash patient dash stories. So glad to have you here with us. Could you tell us your name and about the period movement and what inspired the organization's mission? Hi, thank you so much for having me. My name is Damaris Pereira or Dama, and I have, you see her pronouns, and I am the National Program Director at Period. And what inspired the mission? That's a great question. So Period is a global nonprofit, for those listening who may not know, that works to uh, provide tools for young people to eradicate period poverty and period stigma in their own communities. So we are comprised of hundreds of chapters all over the world. Currently, we have about 325. Um, The majority of them are based in the U.S., but we are in over 20 countries, including Guatemala, Mexico, Spain, different countries in Africa, and like just all over the world. And so we are very excited to, most of these chapters are led by high school and college age students. We have some community members as well, but the idea is that we do believe and we've seen that this generation will really solve this problem of period poverty in their communities. So this goes ties into your answer, your question around how our work is inspired by the mission or like why this, why we do this. And so our organization was actually founded by two high school students in 2014. And so that is why we are here and we have really maintained that youth-led voice. Although the founders are no longer a part of period, of course, we all wish everyone well and they we are so excited to have period and we were so inspired by having these young people lead the movement that we're going to continue with that. And we really believe that it's young people that are making a change and making making this happen. So that's why we're here. So I'm going to piggyback off of that and ask you, this was a question for a little bit later that we had for you, but there is, you know, if, and we encourage our listeners to follow you on, on social media, because you, you really have such great content, informative content. And what we love here at Flow is that you also put such an emphasis on youth and period equity within the movement. So can you just elaborate a little bit more on why that's so vital to the efforts um, and the work that you do? Yeah, so I think the first thing I would want to name, we do need everyone to be involved in the movement to make change. So we believe that we need allies, we need people who don't menstruate, we need older people, we need everybody to be involved to make a change. Because a lot of these older folks are in the systemic places and make decisions about, they're in our schools, they are in our workplaces and of course on legislation and so we do believe this is a multi-generational movement the focus though is on youth because a lot of youth first of all are realizing and coming on the problem firsthand they might not have the jobs right they're the ones most impacted they're the ones that don't have the steady income or the ones that are seeing their parents or caregivers have to choose between food or period products when they are bleeding through their pants and so with knowing that information our young people who don't have jobs, like I said, but they have the energy. They just have the energy. Let's be honest. They are just so excited. And especially Generation Z, they will see a problem and want to make a change right now. And they have, and they do. And so that's why we just want to work to really provide those tools. And so some of the tools we have, we have information about how to testify at your state legislation, who to reach out to for changing um, systematic changes in your state, but also just how to host a product drive. Like there's different approaches of how anybody can be involved, which I can just plug in really quick, how we eradicate or support period poverty and stigma. Period has three pillars. So we focus on service, education, and advocacy. And so our chapters and the tools we provide are based on any of those three aspects. So service is the direct product distribution need. The reality is that we have people who need period products 
in our schools now today, like this is a need. And a study that just came out recently in May of this year for menstrual hygiene day that was done in partnership with Thinks and Period as well. A study came out that in 2021, one in four students has expressed difficulty having access to period products that they need. And over 50% of students have actually expressed needing to keep their products longer because they don't have enough products. So that of course leads to other issues and problems if you keep your tampon in for all day because you're just kind of bleeding through and you don't have another one or you have one pad for the day or one pad left. And so this is an issue both of like economic justice, housing justice, and also just like race and gender justice because disproportionately people impacted by poverty have been communities of color. And then on top of that, there's like that period and shame. And that's that stigma that kind of goes into that. So while we focus on young people, back to your question, um, I just kind of went all around, but they're the ones highly impacted by it. And this is happening in communities all around rural, urban, and it's a bipartisan concern. And so the, the service part is the direct need. Education is we really equip our young people with tools. We partner with other health agencies or doctors just to talk about periods. Like, let's talk about it because we really believe that just even talking with a friend or talking with your teacher about a need, talking with other people, your coworkers, it can help reduce the stigma, which really can change the needle when it gets to legislation, which is that systemic issue. Um, legislators just kind of, we've had experiences where our students are talking to legislators, a lot of older white men and the work period just kind of like, they're like shameful Ooh. and like, yeah. how dare you? <laughs> Um, and so anyway, but we've seen so much change and we've seen change in the last few years, like just now, like there are so many states now that are passing introducing legislation to remove the tax on period products. And we really are, we're really arguing or supporting that period is, is that access piece to really get period products free in school restrooms, because you have toilet paper that people who don't menstruate go to the restroom and, and soap, and they don't have to carry that around with them to go to the restroom in schools. They're just not thinking about that. If they have to go to the restroom, it's just kind of there. And so we're really advocating for having that same for um, period products so that young folks who menstruate are able to live their life in schools with less shame and dignity and participate in extracurricular activities. And, oh, I'm bleeding. Okay, we have this, as opposed to just freaking out, going home and missing out on life because of their periods. Golly. And in the advocacy quotient of that amazing service education and advocacy, um, does the term pink tax come up when dealing with legislation? Could you explain to our listeners what the pink tax is and why it makes such an impact? Of course. So the pink tax is usually what is known for as the tampon tax or the tax on menstrual products. That is something that is happening currently. There are 27 states still in the country who are not tax-free. 23 of them of which are. And so if you're listening, I encourage you to find out if your state is charging uh, menstrual products, is charging uh, tax on them. Something to note, there are so many states that what's, it's interesting what they find as luxury items versus what is fined as an essential need. So for example, the lovely state of Texas um, considers cowboy hats are actually not taxed. However, so menstrual products- I'm sorry, are, yeah, what? we need to stop there. What? what? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> what? So cowboy hats in the state of Texas are not taxed because obviously it's an essential need. Um, however, menstrual products are. So that's one example. There are, um, <laughs> there's a lot of, um, Rogaine, which is the hair product growth for men in a lot of states are not taxed. Menstrual products are. Um, condoms. Condoms, you can get condoms free anywhere. Let's be honest. Uh, they're yeah, definitely not taxed. If you try, yeah, you can yeah, Clearly they're essential. <sighs> um, sure, I'm not against not taxing that, but like, let's consider 
essential goods of menstrual products that you are going to be have the population is bleeding. I mean, and so some people, of course, there's arguments around like, well, some things aren't free, some things aren't. And it goes back to like that access again, like, well, some people cannot afford them. And so you have, there's some major legislation that has come into place in, the, in this country. The two kind of major strands are that pink tax, which is the product on, or the tax on menstrual products. So you may see legislation around that have been introduced. Some have died, but you know what? That's okay. Cause we're like, as long as it continues coming back, people are so advocating. There are hundreds of menstrual equity groups all over the country really fighting for this. So I do want to name that period is just part of like the picture. And we work with so many groups because we need everybody you know, on this. We cannot do this alone. So yeah, the legislation, like I was saying, is the, the tax on menstrual products. So that's a big, a lot of states are working on that. A lot of states have passed that. A lot of uh, Louisiana was the most recent one that has just removed the tax on their menstrual products. That's a very big win from a couple months ago. The other Yay, piece of I know Louisiana. <laughs> yes, like it's just things are happening, which is exciting. The other piece of legislation that has been introduced often is this whole what I mentioned earlier about the free period products in school restrooms or in federal buildings or like state buildings, so like government buildings, and this idea of access. And so the tax on period products, I do believe it's very much a middle class issue. Like it's an issue because people who are, but that means you can afford products, right? You're just kind of like saying, why do I have to pay more? Right? So that's already one issue that needs to be addressed. At the same time, we have the students, like I've been saying, that are young people that don't have access to any products at all. And you need to get them and, and you can get a condom probably, or men can get other items, but not not a product, a menstrual product. So you'll see any of one or both. A lot of states have introduced, some have died, but that's really the fight that a lot of folks have been working on on the ground and have made a lot of changes and strides, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. I also just want to highlight right now as, as we talk about this, you know, the need for access is this podcast is really about extreme periods. So a lot of the topics that we cover, you know, people who menstruate need a lot of product to, you know, <laughs> to manage their periods. And, you know, we've we've talked to girls that go through a pad an hour. I mean, imagine the cost of that. So yeah, so I'm so glad that you're, you know, highlighting that. And I just wanted to kind of take it a step further and, and just acknowledge all of the, you know, patient voices that we've had on this podcast and just the the burden it puts on them financially and in all the other ways that you've mentioned. I just want to add to that because it's, it's the financial burden. So yes, and, and the shame. And that's what we really are trying to work on. Like you're bleeding so much. And then, so that goes along with like one, the shame, like, oh my God, like I'm going to bleed my parents, right? Like there's that constant anxiety. And then the pain, first of all, like this is debilitating. And then people not believing menstruators when like, oh, it's just another period. Like, no, 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 this is a severe, like there are some severe, more difficult problems that a lot of people actually don't know about. And that's part of the stigma and part of the education that we're here to really talk about fibroids. Let's talk about endo. Let's talk about all these difficulties that are hurting people. Because even though like a lot of young people then feel shame if they start to feel some symptoms, but they're like, that's just a really heavy cramp. But like, it really grows. And for folks who have experienced endometriosis, like when they find out very late into their thirties, they could have actually had something more preventative or just feel valued and feel like, oh, I'm not crazy. Um, like that gaslighting is so big for people who menstruate and that's on top of the regular life struggles. And so that's, I think, part of that education piece of like even podcasts like this, like it's so great that it's happening because people need to just know, and this is all part, it all impacts the decision. Even talking about it, listening to this podcast, posting this, 
people will start listening and talking about it more. And that is ultimately what can help get to the legislators and realize, oh, this is actually a normal thing. <laughs> we don't need to make a big deal about it. <laughs> yes. And that's also what we're all about here at Flow, <laughs> right, Jess? Loving that you uh, piggybacked off of that and talked about the shame. Thank you. I actually want to just back it up for a second. Dama, please tell us a little bit more about period poverty in the United States. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about the global perspective as well. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, and I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people just think, oh, like your period poverty. Yeah, a lot of people in, in those countries, like in other countries, like that exists there. So I can start off with, with the study that was to share, which I'd love to share as a resource. And if y'all want to have it available on like the note, show notes or whatever, um, it's a great resource that would just came out about the study. So that's where it, it was asked for over a thousand students, but nearly one in four students have expressed not having access to period products. And 23% of students have really struggled to afford period products at all. And so what this means in life, and so what we've seen on our end with their product distribution model, um, in 2020 alone, period was able to donate 3.2 million period products to people in the United States alone. So that speaks more to the need than like, oh, look what we did. First of all, we did that because we received incredibly generous donations from other companies and people that were just kind of responding to the COVID crisis. And so we have over 400 service partners, and these are shelters, food pantries, a lot of kind of organizations that focus on addressing the direct need of people who don't have access to basic food or shelter. But they reached out to us because they don't have the funding to get products. And there are people who are there asking for food, and they're like, do you have that? Like, they're just kind of whispering, like, because first of all, the shame, right? It's embarrassing, but like people are still bleeding. And so we have these 400 amazing service partners that they reach out to us. And so our model currently as a, at a national organization, as we get product donations and as we work to get both pe people to donate, as well as like something we just purchase in bulk because we're, we are, so that's part of when people donate to period, we, it supports our service model. Um, and so $5 a month plug here, it helps us purchase the products and ship products to the to our service partners in need because we yeah so I can talk about that a lot if you like more but the idea is that we are distributing the products and and that's the big need that they have because they don't they don't talk about it so I just want to name that that is one one model or one example of like what's happening furthermore our chapters alone in the U.S. well that we know of um some other countries as well but with they host product drives and in 2020 they distributed about 620,000 products to their own communities. So how they do this, a lot of we equip our chapters to just host product drives. Go to your school and say, bring products, bring a box of tampons, bring a, a box of pads. And so we work with our chapter members to connect with the service partner. We really want them to do it in a way that like, you're, you're, you're donating products, not just to like anyone in need, which I mean, you can, but like, that's just a constant need, right? Like you're consistent, you're going to need this every month. And so they go through service partners or people who are working with other folks. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of going off here on like the, the need of like what we're seeing. People always need products. The need is only getting bigger. We have no products right now. We actually cannot stock. As soon as we get them, they're out. We have a, a waiting list of people that need products or organizations. And then from there, people do need products and they reach out to us. We direct them to a local service partner because I also want to name what's really expensive with this products and getting products to people is shipment especially during COVID, there are supply chains that have been difficult. We can get product donations. And then if we have them, in, it's always where you are because shipping products is expensive. And so even now as, as 
companies have reached out, which not as much as they should be. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> you know, companies can do more. The ones that do provide products, which is great, um, and some of our partners, then we've actually had them just ship directly to the service partner because if we get it, then we're we're paying double for shipping. So shipping is a big concern in our world and we're just working on logistics and how we became a distribution organization. But that was just because of the need um, that we're seeing. And then at the school level, I can just even speak as a teacher. We didn't have a nurse, first of all. I was at a charter school in South Central Los Angeles. You do not have a nurse in a lot of places. And so a lot of kids, I mean, I was in a middle school and I remember just even kids being like, like just kind of like, first of all, nervously trying to reach me. And I'm like, why are you like, what's going on? But they would come talk to me and they and they like got their period, don't know about it. So let's talk about health education, right? Like I'm dying. It's like, no, you're in sixth grade. Like what happened here? But they haven't had the health class fully yet. And so I was their math teacher. So it wasn't a conversation on the spot, but of course they knew my relationship and I would talk about it and let's destigmatize this. And so they would like set aside. And so I would have pads and tampons available. And often, I mean, they would just know that they would come and that was a need, but sometimes because they were afraid to ask their parents and they're afraid to talk about it at home because they were like, well, my mom already doesn't have money. I know. Like I, so there's this like shame of like, I'm over overburdening someone else with cost. And that happened all the time. And it was a constant thing. And so in our schools, again, like that is a big access point. A lot of people can really rely on that. And some people may argue, and it's true, like you, some schools do have period products and you have it in the nurse's office or the main office if you have a nurse's. So they'll have them. We're really fighting to having them or like supporting to having them in the restrooms. Because if any of us have happened, even if you don't have, if you're in class in college or in high school and you're like, I, you know, that moment, like, I think I got my period. I'm not sure. Right. So then, but you don't have products because you weren't expecting it. So then you're going to like run to the restroom. One, that's already miss, you're missing some class time there. And then you're like, oh crap, it's my period. And then what do you do? You get toilet paper, right? <laughs> like, let me just put whatever I can on here if, if, if they have that available and then you're still bleeding. So maybe you have it in a school campus, somewhere across campus and like a nurse and you have to go to the nurse's office, you have to wait. You might have to get a teacher's note to get to the nurse's office because there's all the excuse around that. Anyway, we all know this. Everybody has probably experienced something like this, but like this is all, you're not learning. This is you being away from class time. Then you're going to get back and be behind. And then you're in the nurse's office and they say, yeah, we might, may or may not have it. Then you change. But at this point, if you put through your pants, you're going to want to go home and you want to change. So you do. And if you go home, the chances of you coming back to school are not as often. So we call this really an invisible oppression. Um, you don't see it often, but we wonder what is it like to look around schools and like realize how many of them may have some anxiety right now around not having products um, or how many of them might not feel at their best right now because of the lack of access to free products or how many of them are thinking of going home because they're gonna stay and they're not sure. So this is what we see in our schools every day and and or you never, you may not see it this is what the experiences are um and how it's impacting so many young men's readers disproportionately yeah and just to also mention that that's if they make it to school right so those who don't have product may also stay home because they don't have it so yeah it's uh it's thank you so much yeah although you use like socks newspapers are often used as well but that can cause infections like we're just it just kind of is a spiral effect i was just gonna mention so i wanted to ask you about globally when i was in the peace corps i lived with a family so i was very close to my host mother and my sisters and i because i was a peace corps volunteer i got products as 
a part of my pe- like they gave it to us the the government the US government made sure that we had all medical including tampons well that's great i'm going to say that that doesn't happen to our military so that's good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on that. But like Peace Corps Medical is like the best medical of my life. I will not lie. They they gave us everything you could think of, even sunscreen. So I, I don't know like what. <laughs> we had very good medical care, Um, but they would give us whatever we needed and months supply because I wouldn't always be at the Peace Corps office. Anyway, my sisters, as you just mentioned, would often use old school paper newspapers, just as you mentioned, socks, whatever they could and rewash it. But there was, I mean, having access to regular, especially when you consider there were, I think, four or five women in one household, all menstruating and think about the cost of that is more than they make in a month. Exactly. What are you guys, I want to hear more about your global efforts, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. So um, like I was saying earlier, so first of all, thank you for sharing about your experience. And and yes, that's unfortunately, it's stories like that that are replicated in so many countries. And so I think the difficulty also with other countries is like the stigma or traditions that are associated with period products and what period products to use and even like insertion products. So even like tampons or more sustainable options like menstrual cups which can be cheaper in the long term, which we can talk about sustainable products as well. Menstrual discs, sponges, um, reusable pads, those are great in terms of cost effective in the long term. However, just because I'm on this topic really quick, I do want to name, it is very difficult for someone who may not have access to clean water um, or sanitation to actually use these reusable products. And so although we encourage that, so we encourage folks listening, if you are if you have access to clean water and sanitation and you'd like to explore options, if you haven't already done so, um, there are some great sustainable products and there's so many different kinds now that could be helpful and better for the environment. So I just want to name that. I do want to just shout out Green Periods is another partner of ours, um, greenperiods.org, I believe. But yeah, they're focused on a really big sustainability on, on period products um, and just kind of bringing awareness around it. So um, I just want to name that. Anyway, people in other countries that may not have access to clean water and sanitation and even the insertion difficulty. So pads are really the most common or some sort of liner or something that helps. And then you just kind of throw it away. Again, that might be the product of choice as well for someone in the U.S., which is fine. I mean, I want to respect body choice and autonomy at any point. And so we don't, we don't like say you have to use this product. Um, We will work with people with any products that they would like and have access to. Now, to answer your question about the global um, work. So what's great about this is the the global um, movement for menstrual like equity. It's, It's really, there's a lot of great organizations around the world that are doing this great work. We work with partners in the UK, in Australia. And so what we do is our chapter members who want to start in those countries, first thing we do is connect them with a local organization because like we can't, we, we are global just because it's really easy to start a chapter. Anybody can. And the idea is just you can get your friends together and talk about periods and host a product drive and you can use a, a period chapter like that. That's OK. And you have some resources. We do uh, support and even our resources are open and online free for anyone. They're period-action.org, which you can get to from our period.org site. Yeah. So we have our resources for anyone. You don't have to be a period chapter, uh, but we connect with other people. So our model is really to connect with people on the ground because even shipping products, again, is really expensive. So we cannot it would cost more to ship products in the U.S. and to purchase them there. And so we try to support with um, elevating their voices and then even 
financing or supporting, it's really difficult fiscally and the rules all along that to just send money to um, other groups in other countries. And so what we just support is the established nonprofits on the ground. Um, we ensure that our chapters are connected with them so that they work together on really building educational resources and really hosting drives in their community and making change. And we have some, pardon my language, some kick-ass chapters in other countries that are working on legislation. And these are just like, I mean, from Spain to Guatemala, our period Guatemala chapter has met with their Congress at the federal level and really working on expanding and like making, organizing with so many other groups on the ground to have fairs to really deliver, they host product drives and distribute products to the indigenous communities in Guatemala. So just, these are the type of examples that we're seeing in so many different parts of the country and just educating because especially in rural, third world areas, People do not want to talk about periods. That is the last thing that anyone's expecting to talk about. It is shameful. As you know, some traditions, you are like put away in a hut. You cannot be in the household or you can't join us in the kitchen table when you're on your period. And so those are traditions. And so how do we work around that to, to just talk about it? And, and we don't need to change centuries old traditions, but I think it's just providing that dignity for people to not feel as shameful. And it's happening little by little at a time. We still have a long way to go, but it, it's providing the tools. And the big thing that we do currently for our international chapters is just connecting them with other and really be part of this large network so that they can do the work together. Because like I've said, we cannot do this alone. And, and that's where we see most power and most change happen when people and all these groups kind of reach out. Um, and, and educate their community. That's a big thing. Let's talk about pads and tampons. Let's talk about how you use them. Let's talk about how you use a menstrual cup and then hosting the drives so the people that have access can actually do it. And then just knocking on doors of legislators and saying, let's let's make a change here because this is an issue. So it's moving the middle, little by little, but the US is still more advanced in that area. But New Zealand is beating us all in Finland and France. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> We're working on it. God, it's so wonderful to hear you speak so, um, you know, articulately and passionately. I'm curious, what was your initial inspiration to get involved? Do you have a yeah personal story that led you here? Yeah, thank you. And also, if I get really excited, I may talk very fast. So thank you for following along. If I need to <laughs> slow down, just like, you know, you can tell me that because that is my life story. Well, for me personally, like I've mentioned before, like I actually have a background in education. I'm a former educator, lifelong learner in that sense. And I've really always focused on youth development and youth leadership. That's been a big niche of mine since I was myself a high school student. I've been a youth leader. And so I've seen the difference that youth leadership and, and doing stuff in the community, how that changed. So that's kind of the broad scope. And so for me personally, being involved in education in very urban communities that are very struck and impacted by society's um, systemic issues. Being a woman and being a menstruator myself has always been, I've always had this like shame, like I've bled through, I've been sitting on a chair at like work and then somehow bled through and like that was incredibly embarrassing. And I'm a grown woman who has access to like, communicate and be like, oh, that was weird. But like, how did we get to that point? And so that would get me really frustrated. And just like with so many feminist movements or just people recognizing, wait, I just get this feeling because I happen to be a woman and have a, a, and I'm bleeding. Like there's nothing else about it. And so that's kind of how I've always seen it, both in education. And then personally, I then went to um, work in a nonprofit working with youth in foster care. And so again, it's the same need of seeing this need all the time. I would then plan events and works up and on in LA County. And like, there was all, we always had to have free products. But at that point, a lot of us making these decisions were menstruators and we knew that, but like, it's kind of a new thing of like, oh, this is an issue that is happening. And people who are by the government, like they don't just get period products handed to them 
as like young foster youth, like it, it's a big issue and it's probably even more disproportionately affecting foster youth as well. Because also the shame, if you're not even with your biological parent, that may be some foster youth don't feel comfortable talking to caregivers about their periods or their first period. I mean, there's just so much stigma around it. And I saw it with my students consistently. I worked with middle school and high school students in my entire career. And so with this particular role at period, I love the fact that period is really focusing on getting tools so that young people do this work and people are equipped and have the confidence and have the information so that they can do it because they are the leaders and they do a really great job at it. And when you get a bunch of high school and college students who are sharing about their experience with legislators, they listen. And so I just want to be behind them, supporting them. A lot of them are are young and nervous and they just feel like, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Let me let me give you the tools. Right. So we work and collaborate with so many other organizations. What I like about period. We're not doing this alone. And we'd love to partner with anyone listening to really help elevate our young people um, and really have these um, college and high school community chapters do this work and they're changing it. And they are part of different coalitions throughout the country. And it is so great for me when I connect with our different chapters in different countries and how they're, it's just like, who else do you work with? Who do we need to connect you with and, and see the change there? So that's what inspired me and, why, and I've seen the change and I've seen how it impacts someone and I'm still here and I'm so excited and we're excited to keep doing this work. I love it. Thank you. I You can feel your passion. I know our listeners can feel it. It's it's amazing. And our last, you know, I think one of our final questions, if not our last question, is really going to be about folks getting involved. And on that note, I just want to give a, a little bit of a shout out to my local uh, New York State, Greater New York uh, Planned Parenthood, because they're actually having a menstrual drive right now. And it'll be before this launches. But I think my point in telling and mentioning this is pay attention to what's going on in your own community and look for these types of drives or start one yourself. And on that note, how can how can folks get involved with period? How can like what recommendations if they're somebody's listening, they're like, I want to do this. Like, what advice would you give somebody? Yeah, so. Uh, Chrissy, that's actually first great thing. Learn of what's happening. Find out what's happening in your state, in your school, in your workplace. We're also really advocating like employers to just offer period products for their restrooms for the menstruators in at work. Like it's different now. COVID, not everybody's there, but like even having there that is an extra cost for people who menstruate. So let's talk about how employers are doing this um, in your schools. So it can be at a very minute local level. How are you talking about it in your family with your young menstruators or just your friends? Like let's start there. I think anybody can do that. Um, then I would encourage folks to get involved. Um, so please follow us at period movement. I do want to know we do have all of our, a lot of our chapters have Instagram, which we encourage. And so you may, if you start, start to type in period, there's going to be a ton. And so period movement is our official one, but I would recommend following that because we always post that there's cost to action in any specific state, you can sign up for our newsletter at period.org. Um, also, just depending on when you listen to this, we have um, October nights. So it's typically the second Saturday of each um, October is our period action day. And the acronym is PAD. Just wanna put a lot on there. Um, but we and it's October 9th. Mm -hmm. 
So this year, 2021, it is on October 9th. And this started as National Period Day back in 2019, I believe, 2018-ish. No, that's off the top of my head. But we have now been, um, it's now P Period Action Day. And really, it's a day of action so that anyone can get involved, host a product drive. So we are going to host a lot of events. We're partnering with multiple people. And if you're in Michigan, um, we are actually planning a um, rally in person on October 9th. And so more to come on that. So please check out, again, if you follow us on period.org. But we have a website for Period Action Day which is periodactionday.com. So I encourage you to check that out and get involved and there'll be the tools there so you can start your own product drive and take action against period poverty in your community. So we are excited to have any of you and all of you get involved because we, we need everyone involved for this. I have a follow-up question to that and something you actually mentioned very early on in our interview. You mentioned getting involved in local legislation. Is there, how would you encourage people to to do that. Do you have any tips on how to find out what's going on in your in your community in your state? Yes, so I mean it that requires research within your county. You can just look up is our our tax like is your state tax free um, for period products, but to just kind of let us feed you the information if you'd like, we on period.org. I mean I can give you all this like advocacy.period.org is where you can put in your name and your state and your email and when we have calls to action or we, if you sign up to our newsletter as well like if you're connected with us, we will all you will know if there is a call to action at the state level because sometimes bills are introduced and there's not really they're not asking for testimonies and not asking for petitions. So when that happens, we really try to partner and work with coalitions on the ground. And so we will let you know, like it will be posted on our social media. If you're not newsletter, we'll say Michigan or Texas, Louisiana, we need your help. And so you'll kind of know on that end. Um, to get involved. And then, yeah, on our site too, you can find out how to get involved with our local chapters. So you can just stay connected. So I think following us just because I can give so many calls to action. If you follow us, it'll be a better, it'll be a reminder and, you, and follow so many other orgs. Find out what other menstrual equity orgs are in your region. Look up uh, period poverty in your area. Learn about that in your school, like we were saying. Feel free to do that. Um, it is all available. There's not as, as much research, unfortunately, on like individual counties or cities because people haven't asked the question, do you need access to period products? So I think let's start even asking those questions and checking in and find out even with your the simplest thing, find out with your local, find a, a shelter, even your school, if you're connected with the school through a family member or like kids or your local school in your community, ask them, do they need period products? Because often that's not funded. And or maybe can you host a product drive or do they want that? Or maybe they have it, which is great. And so then for states that have legislation that has passed, it's about implementing because then it sounds all pretty like, oh, yeah, free period products in schools. But like, are they really? So I think it's about learning where you are, do some research, and we'd be happy to support with that at Period Movement. I love it. That's great. Yeah, thank you. And then I'm just curious because you mentioned, is there a subscription for $5 a month where people could subscribe to donate? Yes. I'm so glad you asked. So period.org slash donate. We would love if you have access to, if you have the ability to donate, especially monthly, because this is a monthly need. We can think about it as like paying it forward for $5 a month. You can really support one menstruator for their full cycle. And that's what we consider about 15 products. And so that really helps us get more and more. And I'll just throw that means $60 really helps one menstruator for a full year. And so if you have access to do that, we really encourage, we need monthly donors to keep this service drive going or service department. We actually don't have products right now. I mean, it's a constant need and we have a constant request. Um, and so whenever we have access to, we would love to um, encourage and then you can really make a huge impact by skipping a latte in one month. Yes. 
I am going to sign up yeah, right now. Same. I'm literally on your mm-hmm. page. So that every 28 days club is what that is. I see because it. That's, I'm on the page right now. That's, so. And it'll give, yeah, it's, if we want you to join the every 28 days club. That is how we can really get supporters like all of you listening. And if you have access to that and if we need products, like reach out and we can connect with a service partner. This is a need and let's talk about it. And by you donating to period, you're really impacting these, these tools and we're partnering with folks. And when we offer educational conversations. We want to offer honorariums to our people to not just share about their experience for free. So we need to get this to get the word out more. And so thank you in advance for all of you willing to get involved. Yes. I, I'm literally just signed up right now to do $5 a month. It's not that much money. Just encourage other people to do the same. Yeah, you're doing such incredible work. Do you have any final thoughts for us? Um, no, thank you. And, and I want to just rename that all of us here are part of the menstrual movement. All of you listening are already part of making change. Um, Keep sharing about this podcast, keep talking about it and find organizations in your community that you can donate to be a part of host of product dive, but you are already part of this. And so keep it up. Um, The fight's going to be a long time coming. It's going to keep going, but we've made a lot of progress already. And so take, take joy in that. And then parts this, this podcast is a big part of that. So thank you. Thank you for spending your afternoon yes. with us. Okay, just starting with applause because what great work period.org is doing. They are killing it. I mean, we're still applauding over here and we just can't encourage folks enough to go check out our show notes follow them on social media, get links, get involved, follow their work. They're always posting really informative stuff too. So always learning, always learning. Always learning, concise, informative, truly. um, We invite all listeners to take a second to share this episode, which we obviously love, but particularly to take, uh, to let others know about Dama's work. Share it with another menstruator. We're going to wrap up this episode with our closing segments, starting with the part of the episode we never skip, the best reminders coming at you with Christy's tips. Yes. So this week, I'm going to take a bit of a different stance because we, you know, we talk so much during this episode about getting involved and understanding the needs of um, the people that people that menstruate. And so my first tip this week is get involved however you can, right? So maybe that's a donation. Maybe that's joining the 28 days club. Maybe that's starting your own drive. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. See what is going on. And we mentioned this a little bit, but see what's going on locally. I know just from my own experience that my United Way has a regular drive. Our local food bank has a pretty regular drive, Planned Parenthood. So these are all in my community, places where if I want to donate, make donations, they, you know, gather everything that's needed and distribute it to the people that need it the most in the community. So pay attention and do what you can where you can. And also, you know, when we're talking about getting involved and we talked about this during the episode, but if you are interested, which, ooh, get involved with local politics and politicians in your state. Storytelling is so powerful. So if you've experienced extreme periods and you're paying all of this money to, uh, you know, purchase period, um, what do we call them? Products? Products. Yeah. (laughs) 
There are so many ways. I think that's my point. You know, this is only tip number one, but there are so many ways to get involved. You can donate, you can start a drive, stay in touch with what's going on in your communities, talk to your politicians. There are so many ways to get involved and then there's no right way to get involved. Um, which brings me to my next tip, do what you can. Uh, it doesn't have to be a huge amount, you know, Jay Rich, you and I have donated $5 a month. Maybe some folks can do more than that, but you don't have to, you know, this is the cost as as she mentioned is of a latte a month and base it on your income. See what you're comfortable with. There's no, you know, right or wrong amount to, to donate. And I think sometimes people feel like, oh, it's just $5. No, it adds up. It helps you know, a lot of people over time. So never feel like what you're doing is, is too little because it, it all matters at the end of the day. If we all have that attitude too, think about it. Like if five people do this for a year, that's a lot of money. So yeah. many yeah. bills make a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And last but not least, know who you're donating to. So I'm going to make a general statement right here. There is a lot going on in the world right now, right? People want to donate to Afghanistan, Haiti, here at home, we're having all of these natural disasters. It's really important. This is something that I've been passionate about for a very, very long time. It's really important that you know who you are donating to. So we heard through our conversation with Dama, all of the things that period period.org and the period movement is doing to make sure that they're working with local chapters across the country to make sure that they're saving as much money as they can on shipping. For example, they're doing the right things, but when you donate to organizations, do some research, make sure that that organization is using the money in the way that you want them to be using that money. And just as a side note, Overhead, don't be afraid to pay if an organization needs to pay overhead. People need to get paid for their work, right? I think sometimes people are like, oh, I just want to see that all of the money I'm donating is going to the project, but people have to run those projects. Lights have to stay on, (laughs) you know, like, so don't be afraid of that. And I'm going off on a tangent here, but I really think that this matters. Dama gave us so many great examples of how the period movement is really making sure that they are using every single cent that they receive. Um, just again, remember that it matters where your money goes. Those are my tips for this week. Wonderful. And what a great reminder. Organizations like the like the period movement, like period.org, have people like Dama who are educated the most so that she can help educate others who are involved the most so that those who can just be involved a little bit can still make a difference. So grateful that there's some people championing their mission to help those in need, specifically menstruators. Yeah, I love that. Our next segment, by the way, I'm very excited about all the math that you did. I love math. <laughs> I do next- not. <laughs> I got very excited when I saw numbers. I was like, this is good. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, even if math's not your go-to forte for our monthly reminder that you're not crazy. Come here, baby. What do you think you are? You are not crazy. Crazy or something? Crazy. Let's talk about the capitalistic cost of having a menstrual cycle. (laughs) Forgetting, if we can, for a moment, the inequity of pay that women face in this country, and forgetting, for a moment, all the gorgeous gifts of reproductive years, the fact of the matter is that it costs more to be a human with a menstrual cycle. How much? Let's do some math. 
The average cost is a minimum $9 per month for period products, and while that's less than a Netflix subscription, that adds up to somewhere between $4,000 and $6,000 in a lifetime. Minimum. Here on Flow, we recognize the extra cost of products for those with extreme conditions. But wait, there's more. The pink tax is a tax on products centered as made for women, and the average woman is charged $1,300 a year in such taxes on daily household products, also known as $52,000 during her reproductive years. So, <laughs> yeah, nuts. So when financials are a struggle, remember, you're not crazy. The economic system is. Here's to staying sane enough to fight for legislation that can both support free period products and to legislation that can help overhaul the capitalistic mission operandi that allows increased tax for female-centered goods. Yes. 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 <laughs> I think okay. it's awesome that you did all this math. I really do. I was, yeah, it's, oh my God. It's crazy. It is crazy. It is How much crazy. money we spend on menstrual products? 52,000. Well, and to be fair, that is, I combined it with the pink tax. So the difference between the two being menstrual products should be free. Condoms are free, as Dama mentioned. Pink tax is this more complex, you know, a shaver for men is however much, but a shaver for women costs more. Yeah. So that's the weirdest part. If it's a pink handle on your razor, the fact that you're going to pay twice as much for a razor is just capitalistic nonsense. It really is. Ugh. <sighs> the rage we get to feel doing this show is so amazing to me <laughs> to just hold the anger and still be like happy go lucky hosts. It it's really infuriating, like so many of the things, but we're doing something about it, which is a good thing, right? Yes. I feel so great after hearing about period.org. Like there seems to be such easy access points to get involved. I was glad she said something too about the, like, have you heard of days for girls? No. So Days for Girls is an organization and they do really great stuff. They sew menstrual pads and send them all over the world. Mm. But like what Dama was saying, if you don't have access to running water, water. Mm. how are you cleaning these products? So that's the real concern. Think about women who like live in refugee camps and they're don't have privacy to wash menstrual products, you know, like, so I'm so glad that she mentioned that days for girls does really amazing work. I don't want to diminish that. I'm glad that she mentioned that it's just not as simple as like making a menstrual pad that you could use over and over again and sending it somewhere and saying, okay, everything's all good now. It's that challenge. It's also capitalistic challenge of going environmental where the new products that are more environmental cost more. And also if you have like a cleaning supply that's toxic, are you supposed to throw it away to get an untoxic supply? Something that's not like, no, you're supposed to use that first. So it's gone and there's so much shaming and guilting in the environmental movement. If you don't, if you do use, you know, toxic chemicals, it's just an odd, we're in an awkward time of humanity. In every way. And on that note, <laughs> that's what we need to know about the cost of being female. Coming up for the rest of this year, we have some exciting conversations on menopause and the male point of view on menstruation. So stay tuned. Don't forget to subscribe, review, and share. Referrals from you are the best way to reach new people. So share your story with us. 
Do you have an experience of extreme cyclical bleeding? We believe sharing these stories will support an increase in medical research and social acceptance. Bloodstream Media is more than just a rare disease podcast network. With shows on chronic pain, menstrual health, and Dungeons and Dragons, yes, Dungeons and Dragons, Bloodstream Media's got a little something for everyone. Visit bloodstreammedia.com or find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to learn more. And thanks to our sponsor Takeda for their support of Flow. Flow was produced by Bloodstream Media and supported by Takeda. Shout out to creative director Amy Board and Flow's hosts, Jessica Richmond and Christy Van Horn. Flow was edited by me, Colby Crow. Our next available episode will be October 14th. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>